If you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 specifically, but uh, we're actually going to be doing an overview of the book of 1 Thessalonians as we are coming back to the study of First and Second Thessalonians that we started quite a while ago last year, and so we've actually done 14 um, studies in it, and now we're going to kind of do that overview of those 14 lessons in one. And uh, so we're going to be moving at a pretty good clip, and if there's things that you think that I didn't go deep enough, please go back. Uh, the sermons are online. You can go back and listen to those specifically and uh, catch up. But uh, again, we want to kind of reset the stage and give you an overview of what's going on. And so uh, it's already been read this morning from uh, Acts, the book of Acts. And again, it gives the background of what's happened. And so uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy have gone to Thessalonica. Uh, they've been there. They reasoned with the, the Jewish people in the synagogue. And uh, as they had opportunity, many people came to faith. And so Paul plants this church within the course of three weeks. And as he's planted this church, it's in Thessalonica, which is a very pluralistic area. So which means there, there are many gods that are being worshipped in the city. It's a, it's a city that, where the world comes to them in regards to trade. And so all of the people from around the world are coming through this area. And so it's this, a very great center of, of a place for Paul to come and to, to minister to people. And he starts this church. But what it does is it starts to cause a stir. And it stirs up the city so much so that the people um, ask that Paul and Silas be sent away. And so they are. And they um, so he, Paul has this opportunity. He's planned this church. He's been asked to leave. He leaves. But now he's concerned about the people because he's done it so quickly. He doesn't really know what's going on with the, the people. So he sends Timothy back to the church and he sends him with a letter. And so what he does is he sees and receives all this information back about what's going on with the Thessalonians. And so that kind of gives us our setting again for the book of Thessalonians. And so here's where we begin our understanding of the book, the outline. And so you see four major points in your bulletin, and we're going to follow along with those. But the first one is that they are imitators of Jesus. And so we're going to look at our passage this morning, which is 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, which will give us an overview. So Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. For we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come back to the study again, Lord, we ask that you would give us an understanding of the truths of the scripture. And Lord, even as we do an overview of the book again today, Lord, may it be something that pierces our hearts, Lord, that we would hear your word clearly. 
and that you would change us to look more like our Savior. And then, Lord, may we apply it as we go forth to build your kingdom in whatever sphere you sent us as missionaries, whether it be as engineers or back in the school system, Lord, whether it be in our private companies or our Lord on the airways, Lord, whatever place that you have placed us, may we be faithful to the calling that you've given to us to preach the gospel clearing and to love people because they have become so dear to us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see as we do this overview is that we are called to be imitators of Jesus. And so what we have here in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that the, the Thessalonians have become an example to others. See, the reputation of the Thessalonians is that their news has spread of their faith, and it's spreading faster than Paul could even travel. And so as this begins to spread, what he says, you have become imitators of Paul. And of the Lord. And so Paul begins to say, this is a work of faith and it's a labor of love. Why? Because they understood the gospel. And which is something very different than just being good. Again, he's not looking for the reputation of these are good people who are being nice. These are people who are changing the totality of their lives. As Christ has come in, he has changed their whole perspective. He's changed everything about them. And it's not just about being good. Because if you try to be just good to people, you will find yourself becoming very tired. You will find yourself getting to the place where you're saying, that's it, I'm done, I quit. It's only when we work in the Lord that we would be able to be sustained in his power and his strength. We're able to forgive the way that he forgives. We're able to love the way that he loves and not in human ways. And so again, he's saying, as you've been imitators of us and work and love and faith, and you've been changed by the gospel, we want you to understand that we're hearing that your stories begin to spread. And so the question we should ask in application should be, what is our reputation? As people begin to think of you, what would they say? What would they say about your faith? What would they say about how you have lived out your life? Would they say that you're a nice person? Would they say that you're a good person? Would they say you're a Christian? And how would they know the difference? And again, the reality is it's never too late. Remember, there's no retirement in regards to the kingdom of God. It's never too late. One of the things is that we never understand who's going to be impacted by our stories. Who's going to be impacted by the things that, that happen to us. I remember uh, Wendell, uh, Mr. Wendell, who was here when I first got here, and, and I knew him later in life after he started going to AA and, and Christ had changed him and he was beginning to change lives. Now, when he passed away and his family came in, there are people who struggled because they knew his, his old history. But Wendell had changed his life so much that he began to impact people. It's never too late. It's never too late for anybody. And you can start in small ways and big ways. And you can change lives even without people knowing it. Um, one of the things that I was reading in this past week was, again, about Eric Little, who's of uh, the Chariots of Fire fame. And so, again, we, we hear his story about um, him not running on the Sabbath, um, but then goes and still wins an Olympic gold medal uh, for the things. And he talks about he feels God pleasure when he runs. But one of the things is that his family were missionaries in Japan. And he was actually uh, there during a time when there were some prisoner exchanges going on. He was actually given an opportunity to leave, and he had a brain aneurysm. 
um, in, in the brain tumor and it was growing. And they thought, oh, we'll get rid of, we'll get him out and get him a, a place where he can be taken care of and maybe even live. And yet he found himself saying, I'm going to give up my space for this pregnant woman. Just in little things, our reputation can begin to give God glory and honor. And so he's saying, hey, these people have been an example, but they also have had joy and affliction. So there's things that are going on. There's persecution. Listen, within the church, there's false teachers that are are there. It's just like today. The the biggest thing to, to Christianity today is not from people outside of the church. It's people inside the church. And so there's false teachers that are going on. There's persecution from, from inside the church as well as people out in society. And as this affliction comes, we, we be, should be asking the question is how do we respond to that affliction? And what Paul says, we should respond in joy. It, it's the same way, again, if either imitators of Paul and Jesus, Jesus said, I count it all joy as I go to the cross. Paul said, I was, I consider it joy that I was imprisoned for the gospel message. Now, again, I know we, we want to be careful here because, again, I don't want a prison ministry. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in jail for Christ. But the question is, if we were put into jail, how would we respond? If people would come in and, and, and to ask us point blank, turn, turn away from Christ, or this will happen to you, how would we respond? Well, the people here are responding in joy. Because they knew why they were doing it and who they were doing it for. Because the question is always, are we doing this to please God? Or are we doing this to have the applause of man? And so the Thessalonians are having joy in the midst of this affliction. Why? Because they're serving the living and the true God. They, see, what happens is it says, hey, you've turned from your idols. So again, this is a pluralistic society. And again, it would, would have been very acceptable for them to, to worship many gods, a whole bunch of gods that they didn't care. And we're there. Today's day and age. Hey, you can worship anybody. Just don't say that Jesus is the only way. Be spiritual. Be nice. But what happens is the Thessalonians had so changed in this pluralistic society that they had removed their idols. And so the question for us is, how do we identify our idols? One of the the, um, quotes that I had for this as we did the study was from Tim Keller. He says, our idols are when good things become ultimate things. So again, you could be a, a person who has your family that becomes an idol. Something that's good, but it becomes an ultimate thing. You can have your career become an ultimate thing. You can have um, your reputation become an ultimate thing. You can have religion become an ultimate thing. But what Paul's saying is the ultimate thing that should be for all of us is Jesus and his glory and his honor. And so we have to turn from our idols and we turn from our idols to the living and the true God. He's not dead. He's not still in the grave. He's alive and he cares about you and he's involved with you. And so the Thessalonians, they got it and they were just like, hey, we get it, Paul. And yes, you, you got taken away from us and you were only here for three weeks. And we understand that there's hard times that we're going through, but we get it because Jesus is everything. And so when it happens like that, as we become imitators of Jesus, we know that we need to live for him now. That's verses, that's chapters three through four. And so what happens is for the Thessalonians, they had changed priorities. 
So they begin to, to have this priority change of saying, hey, it's not just about making as much money as I can in Thessalonica on my trade route or whatever. It's about how do I preach Christ crucified to those who are going around the world? How do I begin to, to think of things that are heavenly minded? But understanding at the same time, there's things to be done here on earth. And so they began to have this changed priorities of living for Christ. And as they were living for Christ, they were also preparing for his return. Remember, they were told, hey, Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. And so they they were already preparing to do those things, to, to have Jesus come back. And so how do you do that? Well, you do it by doing the right things. Now, again, the reality is, is that some, a lot of times we think, especially in our society, we want instant whatever. We think we need to take a pill, pop a pill, and then all of a sudden we're going to be super Christian. We're going to be super skinny. We're going to be super strong. We're going to be super rich. We want the quick fix. But the reality is, is that the, the walk and the, to build and to grow in faith is slow and steady. It's a walk. And it's a long marathon. It's not a sprint. And so the reality is, is we need to be doing even the unspectacular things, but we should be doing things correctly. We should be doing things the right way. We should be growing, growing in our love for God. And as we grow in love for God, then we grow in our love for other people. And as that begins to happen, our desire becomes to please people. Now, how do you do that? You, you do that by reading the scripture, by praying, having times of growth. If you're not going to Sunday school, come back to Sunday school. Well, but pastor, it's boring. Then start a new class. There, there are some gifted people who, who, as their kids have gotten older, said, well, I'm done with Sunday school. Well, no, come back, teach. There's plenty of opportunities. I wish we didn't live in a time and an age where we had, where we had to say to people, hey, you can't be in the same class because you're husband and wife. We just live in a horrible time. But the reality is, is we need lots of people to come up and to, to learn and to teach and to engage. You need to be in small groups. You need to be studying the word. And you know what? Keep it fresh. Do new things. If you've, if you've been reading the Bible through every year, then maybe stop and do one book and do it in depth. If you've been doing a book, then maybe read through the whole scripture. Do it in two years. Do it in chronological. Do it in historical. Do it in a biblical theology as opposed to systematic theology. Listen to it on your, your cell phone as you're going in the car. Whatever way works for you. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Even this week, one of the things that I, I saw about this, and I don't even know how I got onto it, but it was about Kevin Hart. And Kevin's heart, uh, mom, when she was alive, said, um, I want to help you out and I'm going to pay for your rent for the first year of, of your getting into your comedy career. And so Kevin Hart wholeheartedly accepted that. And, uh, but months kept going along and he didn't have rent and he got an eviction notice put on his door. And so he went to his mom and he said, mom, what's the deal here? And she goes, Kevin, are you reading your Bible? And he's like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for your, your being zealous and stuff like that. And she goes, Kevin, I'm telling you, you need to go back and read your Bible. And so with the eviction notice on his door, he goes back, opens up his Bible to his peas, his mom, and six rent checks fall out of the Bible. And he said, what a way to wake him up to the truth of the scripture. His mom so wanted him to be in love with Christ That that was part of the way that she did it to get him to read. To know the word. 
We all need to know the word. We need, we need to remember his instruction. And it's a lifelong commitment. We never outgrow the scripture. It doesn't matter how many times I've read through it. It doesn't matter how many times I've studied it. There's always times where I go, that wasn't in there before. Because the Holy Spirit ministers to us all at a different place at a different time with different perspectives. We focus on different words. And so, again, we have to remind ourselves as we know the word that it's our authority. It's not suggestions for us. And as we gain that authority, then we need to make sure that we practice the word. Because it's not enough just to know the truth. It's not the truth until we begin to live it out. Again, uh, I gave you this illustration from Ligon Duncan before. And he was teaching uh, seminary students and he says, you know, I had a a family, uh, not a family, a class of students who came in and they studied on the uh, hypostatic union of Christ, which means Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And he says, if you have grasped that theologically, but go home and be a jerk to your wife, then you don't understand the hypostatic union. If, If we read the word and don't apply it, then we haven't read the word. So we have to practice the truth. And so we want a desire to please God in all things. And again, our perspectives should change. I gave you this illustration. It was a, a father and a son illustration. And it was where the kids were going out and they were um, daring this friend to go do something. Hey, go do this. And it was something illegal. And, this, and the boy said, I'm not going to do it. And they said, we know why you aren't going to do this. Because you're scared of what your father's going to do to you. And the son responded back, it's not what, I, what my father will do to me. I'm afraid of what this will do to my father. It's changing that perspective. It's not that we're, we're scared of God and he's going to get us. We get to the place where we so love our heavenly father that we don't want to do things that bring him dishonor. And so we want to take what we learn and we want to apply it. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. And not only that, not only were they imitators, not only were they living now for Jesus, they were also waiting for the return of Jesus. See, part of this book and why it's titled Living in the Last Days is because they understood that they were in the end times. Now, again, most people talk about end times and extremes. They either talk about a specific date setting. Jesus is going to come back on this day. And so they live in such a way uh, that people will say, well, I don't care if I go out in, in debt and I'm going to, you know, rack up my credit card debt because Jesus is going to come back. And they told me on this day. And so I'm going to live the way I want to live. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus doesn't come back. Well, those bills are still there. Hmm. So there's people who get set up in a specific day setting, but there's also people who say, well, Jesus is coming back someday, and they just say, it's just a nebulous, it doesn't matter. So I'm just going to keep on living for me. Both are wrong. (laughs) There has to be an, an understanding where, again, we go back to the instruction of God's word. What are we supposed to know? Because it's, it, we should be wise in our understanding of death. Because that is, listen, where the rubber meets the road. All of us in this room are going to die. That is for sure. And you don't know when and you don't know how for most of you. And so the reality is this is where it gets real. And are you prepared for Christ to return? Are you prepared to meet Christ? 
And, and again, you're never, you never know. I mean, again, I tell this story because I, I think it's so sad. When I was coaching football over at Holy Trinity, and, and one of the kids, um, I truly had a heart for him, loved these guys. And I kept talking about Jesus, kept talking about Jesus. And, and one of them very specifically, I don't have time for him, coach. I don't have time for him. And within a year, gets in a motorcycle accident, killed. Gone. Are you ready? Because the word tells us that Jesus is going to return and we will meet him. And so the one thing that it talks about in this scripture was about the rapture. And again, I'm not going to get caught up in the details and you can go listen uh, to the, to the sermon if you want to or whatever. But the rapture comes, first of all, from the word of God. And so what does the word state? And the word states, not what I believe, not what I think, but what does the word state of saying Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come back in such a way that it's going to be dramatic and universal. So we're going to know. <laughs> everybody's going to know it's going to be greater than any pomp or circumstance here on earth. He's not going to come back in secret and quiet. He's going to come back in such a way that the whole world knows. And he's going to come in his triumphant entry, just like he did to Jerusalem. Only this is going to be on a world large scale. And so we need to be prepared. Are you like the wise virgins? Or are you the fool? He tells you it's just like being a pregnant woman. The baby's gonna come. And because you don't go out and buy a cradle or you don't buy um, pampers or diapers or whatever brand you're gonna get and you don't go out and buy bottles, you don't go out and buy whatever, doesn't mean that the baby doesn't come. The baby's coming. Jesus is coming back. And he says, I'm coming back soon. Are we prepared? And so as we be, become prepared, it is our responsibility, which means that, again, it's, it should give us comfort, knowing that he's coming back. And, and it should affect our actions. It should affect how we live. It should affect how we have our spiritual growth. It definitely should change our evangelism. Are you concerned for the lost? And who has God put into your life that you go, these people don't know Jesus. And man, I, I, I want them to know. And again, don't look to me and Chris to be your, um, to be your evangelist and to, to go out and be your missionaries. You are. You. And you're going to reach far more people than I ever could imagine. You're going to be around more non-Christian people than I could ever dream to be around. And so how has God equipped you and, and gifted you and, and brought into your life these people that you have a desire and a concern? Hey, I want them to know Jesus. And I want to preach the gospel. And so you begin to, again, pray. And then be that herald. You herald the gospel. And so that's our responsibility as we wait for Jesus. And then the last thing is, are we keeping in step with the Spirit? Chapter 5. So we understand that the Holy Spirit was one. He's a character. He's a person, not an it. Okay, He is a person, not an it. And so he can be grieved. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us in a love relationship, not a law relationship. In a love relationship. And because he's with us all the time, 24-7, he goes with you wherever you go. He sees what you see. He listens to what you listen to. 
He hears you how you interact with your spouse. He hears how you interact with your children. He hears how you interact with your school teachers. He hears how you interact with your bosses. He's a part of everything. He sees what you see on the computer. And so we can grieve the Holy Spirit because he's trying to bring us back to Jesus all the time. He's trying to say, hey, hey, you don't need to go there. You don't need to do that. You don't need to slam those people. You don't need to hate on them. You need to love the way that Jesus loves. You need to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And so what he does is he brings what? Clarity to all the different aspects of our understanding. So he brings clarity in regards to the Bible. So you pray for him. God, I I don't understand this passage. Um, I met with one of our students uh, over the break and was asking question, how are you doing with your, with your Christian walk? Slow. Okay. Well, what can we do about it? I don't know. Are you doing these kind of things? Sometimes. I said, well, do you need to be held accountable? Probably. I said, okay. I said, we're going to start studying a book of the Bible together and you pick the book. Okay. All right. Give some time. Do you know which book of the Bible you're going to start? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy? Why are you picking Deuteronomy? You told me I had to pick a book. Okay, whatever. All right, you want to do Deuteronomy? We're going to do Deuteronomy. Now, the reality is, he's going to have to start praying for some clarity. Because he's going to start reading Deuteronomy. He's going to be like, why did I pick Deuteronomy? I'm like, it was your fault. You picked it. So this is what we're doing. So we're going to walk through this together. But he brings clarity when we pray for him to ask. Because he's a part of writing it. And so he brings clarity when we go through the word. And not only does he bring clarity to the word, he begins to give us clarity in regards to our conviction, our rationale. He changes the mind and engages our hearts. And so again, we need to be, you guys should be so excited to come on every Sunday. Whether you like me or hate me, it doesn't matter. You're here for Jesus. And you should be engaged and changed and say, man, oh man, those songs, I get to praise God. I get to praise the God. Man, Jeff might be boring. Who cares? You got to hear the word of the Lord. It's engaging, changing. And so as this begins to happen, then there, he also changes us spiritually. And so the, the reality is, is, is he begins to lead us. In our directions. And, and so you should start having situations where I don't know why I'm saying this or I don't know why God is bringing me here. I don't know why I'm doing this, but the Holy Spirit's leading. And He's going to direct you, He's going to guide you. And when He does that, He brings conviction that He allows us to hate what Jesus hates. And so the reality is that we live in a day where people are weakening biblical clarity and conviction. Again, the Bible is not suggestions. It's our authority. And so anybody who begins to, to rip out passages of scripture or say, hey, you don't really know, or that only applied to back then, they don't understand the word of God. And so you need to have that authority and that conviction of understanding that this is what the Holy Spirit is bringing us to because he is the authority with the Heavenly Father and the Son. And so it does become the things of our conviction for how we live life. But it also applies to us where we have image and influence that replaces truth. Again, please, please know, because I know I've, I've said this before, and there are reasons why, and some of you probably hate me for this, I don't allow them to play music while I'm praying. 
Now, it's not because I'm anti-emotional. It's not that I, I don't want you to love Jesus and raise your hands. Raise your hands. Presbyterians of all people should raise our hands higher than any Pentecostal. We should. Raise your hands in worship. Glorify God in whatever way you see fit. But I don't have him play the piano because I don't want it to become all about emotion. I don't want to whip a frenzy. See, when I was growing up and my parents were going to the divorce, I needed real Jesus. I didn't need a Jesus that was just here on Sunday who whipped me up in a frenzy and then didn't deal with me or didn't deal with the thoughts of committing suicide or hurting people or being overwhelmed by being hurt by other people in life. I needed a real Jesus for everyday life. So it's not that that's evil. It's just that becomes a distraction. So for us to, to maintain a, a focus on prayer, we're going to pray. And so does that mean it won't ever change? I don't know. But don't get caught up in that. Get caught up in, are we conversing with Jesus? Are we having time honoring him and glorifying him? And so we, so we get this opportunity where, again, we want to get away from image and influence. And we want to get back to the truth that God loves us in truth and in spirit. And so we hate what God hates, but we also have a conviction of loving what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? Conviction. Remember, name your sins. Don't just say, I'm a sinner. Name them. But don't be defined by them. Confess your sins. There's a great example of uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And he was dealing with a person that was working in the kitchen uh, where he was where he was at. And the person did some really bad things and was on the ground and he was crying out to God and he was saying, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me, rocking back and forth, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me. And St. Francis of Assisi walks through the kitchen, lays his hand on the man's head and he said, he heard you the first time. Get up and get back to work because he remembers it no more. So confess your sins, but don't be defined by your sins. He's heard you the first time. And so be convicted, but also understand that it takes repentance, turning from ways of evil and your own sin back to Christ. And he's always there. He's always there for you to run back to him. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And he's always there to forgive you of your sins. He paid for all the sins on the cross. All of them. And as he gives us forgiveness, then he restores to us. Which means he makes it better than it was before. And then he gives to us blessings. And if you were here last week, what, what an incredible gift that God gives to the people. Remember before they went into the, to the desert, he gives them a, a blessing, a promise. I'm for you, not against you. And so as Jesus does that, listen, we become transformed by the gospel. If you are in Christ, you are transformed. Everything about you begins to change. Your desires, your thought life, the way that you begin to love other people begins to change. That's what happened with the Thessalonians, and that's what can happen here at Northside. Same spirit. So be imitators of Jesus. Live for him now. Expect his return and keep in step with the spirit. And so that leads us in to how we're going to continue to study this word of God. And so 
I hope you are encouraged. I hope you're ready to go deeper and deeper into the word. Okay, and next week we're going to deal with prayer. So if you want to be feel like your gift lifted, come next week. Okay, because everybody's in here feels guilty about your prayer life. Okay, no. So come next week and we're going to talk. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word because it is living and it is true. And Father, I do pray that our reputation would be one, that it would be bringing glory and honor to you in all situations, that it would go before us, but Lord, it would bring joy and affliction and it would be to your glory and your glory alone. Father, continue to have us continue to grow in your understanding, to continue to grow, to know you in an intimate fashion. Lord, give us relationships of accountability. Lord, whatever means it takes for us to go deeper in our walk with you, may it happen. And Lord, may we always be mindful that you're going to return, Lord, and it could be today. It could be tomorrow, Lord, whether it's you coming back or us going to you. And so, Father, give us that passion for the lost to come and to know. Or may it be that fire within our bones, as it says in Scripture, that we just can't keep it and we have to tell people the good news, no matter the consequences. And then, Father, allow us to keep in step with the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who's always, always seeking to bring you glory and honor, who's always teaching us to come back to you. So, Lord, for some of us who've been away on vacation, not just for the holidays, but Lord, on vacation from you. Lord, may we come back knowing full well you're there with open arms. No guilt, no shame, just loving arms. For those whose walk has grown stagnant, Lord, I pray that we would continue to understand just how much you love us, Lord, that you You're always teaching us new things. You're always giving us deeper insights into ourselves, but you're always growing deeper in our our understanding of who you are. Lord, give us a desire as a church to be a beacon of light. And Lord, I I so love it to come into my neighborhood at night and to see the, the cross lit up. Lord, but that needs to be our hearts for this area. Give us that desire for the Booker T. Washington community, for the local schools, the local neighborhoods. And may we keep in step. So, Father, please change us in this new decade. And, Lord, give us and grant us the desires of your heart that become the desires of our heart. To build your kingdom here in North Melbourne, Brevard County, Central Florida, and Lord, even the world. For we pray all of this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.